Please have a seat. Can I add my word of welcome to that of Martin? Uh, and can I ask you please to uh, turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 48 and 49? And that's on page 49 of the Church Bibles. Page 49 of the Church Bibles. We're looking at Genesis 48 and 49 today. Uh, and in the bulletin, the white bulletin you received as you came in, the center, uh, the center part, uh, there's an outline of, uh, of the sermon there. Uh, and uh, that might be helpful. Genesis 48 on page 49. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have been speaking to us by your spirit through your word as it has been read and sung. And we pray now as we come to consider uh, this passage together, that, that your spirit would, would continue that work. We ask that, uh, that you help me to preach this word clearly and faithfully in a helpful way, in the power of that spirit. And we pray that your spirit would work in each one of our hearts, that we might see Jesus and that we might grasp and appropriate for ourselves the wonderful promises that you've given us in him. And we ask this, Lord, in his name. Amen. Charles and John Wesley were brothers. Uh, they were influential gospel men in the 18th century. Uh, Charles wrote many wonderful hymns that we still sing today. Uh, and his brother John was a great preacher. A physician once said this to Charles. Most people die for fear of dying. But I never met with people such as yours. They are none of them afraid of death, but are calm and patient and resigned to the last. Which led John Wesley to make his famous statement, Our people die well. Our people die well. In our passage today, Jacob, the patriarch, dies. And he dies well. For to live well and to die well is to live and die trusting in the promises of God. Genesis 48 opens with Joseph getting the news that his father is ill. He knows he's going to die, so he goes to see him with his two sons. And when he gets there, his father's lying in bed, but, but, but Jacob summons up the strength to sit up because he's got something important to say. And he begins by, by looking back many years before to an incident at a place called Luz, which he had later renamed Bethel. And he'd been there because he had cheated his brother out of his blessing and he was on the run, fleeing from home from his brother's wrath. And here's what happened in Jacob's own words in verse 3 of chapter 48. God Almighty appeared to me at last in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make of you a company and will give you this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. You know, those were the same promises that he had given to his grandfather Abraham, to his father Isaac, and now are coming to him. 
These promises of land and descendants and blessing, these are the promises that will drive the agenda of the rest of the Bible. Because you see, our ancestors, Adam and Eve, they were, they were God's people in God's place under God's blessing and rule in the, in the Garden of Eden. But because they sinned, they were expelled from the garden under God's curse. But these promises to Abraham and his descendants, that's the, that's the first step in reversing this. The descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they will be God's people. They will dwell in God's place, the land of Canaan. And they would do so under God's blessing and through them God would bless the nations. They will be fulfilled in this model form in Israel's history. The descendants will be many. They live in that promised land. And they receive those material blessings that pointed forward to the true blessings they were to come. But the promises would ultimately be fulfilled in Christ. God's true people. God's true place. The mediator of God's blessing. The instrument of God's rule. And through his death on the cross for our sins in our place. And the Spirit's work enabling us to trust him as our Lord. Then we who believe have been rescued to become his people. And in him that blessing comes to us. We have the true blessings, every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we look forward to our future inheritance in the new creation. Where we will be God's people in God's place under God's blessing and rule forever. Our promises in the gospel are the same promises as the promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But in a higher key. And so the first thing that Jacob does as he prepares to die is to rehearse these gospel promises that God has given to him. And he rehearses these promises to his son. Now I'm sure that Joseph already heard about them. There's nothing, nothing new here. But Jacob still recounted them anyway because they're so important. They are defining for the whole of Israel's future. They cannot be forgotten. And friends, God's promises to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are so important. They are defining for our future. They are what set the agenda for us. And whatever we do, we mustn't forget. We must keep on rehearsing them. We must not let them become assumed knowledge because sometimes what is affirmed in one generation is only assumed in the next. And what is assumed in the next generation is forgotten in the one after must never let that happen with the gospel promises. We must keep on repeating them to ourselves, to each other, to our children, to our children's children. And when the time comes for us to die, like Jacob, we have to look back to those promises. We look back to the cross where Christ died so that we can be forgiven. We look back to the empty tomb and know that he is our risen king. We look back on our lives, ever grateful that the Spirit has brought us to faith in Christ and therefore enjoying the, the blessings that His promises bring. Jacob, on his deathbed, recalls God's gospel promises to him. And then he makes a strange pronouncement. He says in verse 5 that, the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, shall be his, as Reuben and Simeon, his natural sons, are his. And you think, why is Jacob adopting Joseph's sons? 
And the answer is there at the end of verse 6. The inheritance. You see, if Ephraim and Manasseh are adopted by Jacob, then, then Joseph's family gets double the inheritance of the rest of the sons. You see that, that Jacob still favors Joseph? After all these years, some things still don't change, do they? But you remember also how we've seen in the weeks past that, that Joseph points forward to Jesus. A Joseph, like Jesus, with a son who was a son who was loved and chosen by his father. Joseph, like Jesus, suffered at the hands of his brothers, the sons of Israel. Joseph, like Jesus, remained steadfast and faithful in the, in the midst of hardship. Joseph, like Jesus, was exalted and honored, and everyone had to bow to him. And in all these things, God was using Joseph, like Jesus, to save his people and fulfill his promises. And now we see Joseph, like Jesus, is blessed above his brothers. And, and we, we belong to Jesus like Ephraim and Manasseh belong to Joseph. And like Ephraim and Manasseh were blessed because of Joseph, we are blessed because of Jesus. And like them, we share in the inheritance of our adopted Heavenly Father, who is his eternal Father. The other thing that Jacob does in verse 7 is look back on the death of his favorite wife, Rachel, Joseph's mother. And we don't know why he does that right now. Maybe to do with the fact that he, he's just adopted these two children and it's because he, he, he wants more children by her and this is her line. We don't know, but what we, what we do realize is that even back then, even back then, when the blessing was material, the covenanted blessing was material, it didn't mean that God's people didn't suffer loss and pain. Jacob had all the promises of God, but he still suffered the grief of the death of his wife. And even on his deathbed, he's still feeling that pain. And you and I know that reality all too well, don't we? We've been given the promises of God in Christ. And so we look forward to the day when every tear is wiped away. There is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. But that day has not yet come. We are not yet in the new creation. We still live in the fallen world. And yet in the midst of grief and pain, like Jacob, we hold on to the promises of God. Jacob is, is very short-sighted. So short-sighted that he's nearly blind. But he begins to realize that he's making out a couple of other figures in the room. And so he asks Joseph in, in verse 8 who they are. And Joseph says in verse 9, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he says, please bring them here to me that I may bless them. And so Joseph brings them near and he kisses them and he hugs them. And look what he says to Joseph in verse 11. I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Isn't that lovely? 
Not only does Jacob look back on God's promises, but he's grateful to God for the things that he's given him which he hasn't promised. Now we can call them uncovenanted blessings. A covenanted blessing is a blessing that God has promised to give. An uncovenanted blessing is something that God hasn't promised but, but just gives. God hadn't promised Jacob that he would see his son again. But God had not only done that, but he'd even let him see his grandsons. And Jacob is thankful. If you want to live and die well, then live and die thankfully. The big things to thank God for are, of course, the things he promised, the covenant, the blessing. Those are the big things. Forgiveness, eternal life, the Holy Spirit, adoption as God's children. Those are the big things. But still be thankful for the little things, the uncovenanted blessings, things that God didn't promise to give you, but gave you anyway. Look back and be thankful. Joseph bows to his father in deep respect. Then he takes the two sons to his father for him to bless them. Uh, and from this point, the emphasis of the passage is not so much looking back to the past, but, but looking forward to the future. So in the second point, in the outline, and he, and he arranges them carefully so that when Jacob lays his hands on them, then Manasseh, the older one, will get the right hand, and, and Ephraim, the younger one, will get the left hand. But you know what Jacob does? He crosses his hands. He crosses his hands when he gives them the blessing, and then he blesses the children in verse 15 and 16 by by praying that the God who, the God before whom his fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who had been his shepherd, who had rescued him, would fulfill his promises in them. You know, when Joseph realizes his father has crossed his hands, he's upset. He tries to correct him and putting the, put the hand back on the right one. But, but the old man in verse 19 knows exactly what he's doing. He himself was the younger brother, but God had chosen him. And now he says, Manasseh, the older grandson, yeah, he'll be great, but Ephraim, the younger, will be greater. And that's exactly what would happen. Hundreds of years later, when the nation was divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Ephraim, not Manasseh, would be the dominant tribe in the northern kingdom. There are two more things that Jacob wants to tell Joseph as he looks forward to the future in this, in this private blessing. In verse 21, he wants Joseph to, to be looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promises, just, just like he does. He says, verse 21, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. You see, for all his life, God had been keeping his promises to Jacob. Uh, Jacob's completely confident that he would deliver on his promises, and he wants his son to have the same confidence. He personalizes it, and he says it to him again with certainty, what God will do for him and his descendants in the future. But secondly, he gives him a foretaste of that future. You see, Jacob had a piece of land in Canaan already, not the whole land that his descendants were promised, but, but just a piece of land. And he wants Joseph to have it. Verse 22, he says, Behold, I'm about to die. Uh, verse 20, Moreover, I have given to you 
rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and my bow. A foretaste, isn't it, of the conquest of the land that would happen uh, a few hundred years later. For us, the foretaste of the blessing to come is the Spirit. We look forward to being with God in His presence, in His immediate presence, in a new creation forever. That is our inheritance. But for now, God has given us His presence by His Spirit. He is the deposit guaranteeing that inheritance. We see His work in our life, giving us faith in Christ as our Lord, putting us into fellowship with Him, changing us to become more like Him in character as we look forward to that future where we will be fully submitted to Christ as Lord, enjoying full and perfect fellowship with Him and being just like Him in character. And as that mountain slope was to the whole land, so is our experience of the Spirit now to the full and perfect experience of God we look forward to in the new creation. Well, after that private blessing time with Joseph, Jacob summons all his sons for his final deathbed blessing. And we realize now these these blessings are not just good wishes. These blessings are prophetic. And so in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 49, Jacob calls his sons together that he may tell them what shall happen to them in days to come. And we read those blessings just now, isn't it? Did you notice something there? All Judah and Joseph get lots and lots of blessing and the rest get one or two lines or worse, a rebuke. The first three sons have big rebukes that actually disqualify them for leadership. Uh, Reuben, uh, Jacob says in verse 3, you're my firstborn, my might, the first roots of my strength, preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. You think this guy is the first, he's got to be the leader. But... All the way back in chapter 35, he had slept with his father's concubine. And Jacob had found out. We read nothing more about it at the time. But now at long last, his father makes clear that he knows. Unstable as water, verse 4, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. Simeon and Levi, they're next. But, but they had led a massacre after someone raped their sister. And so Jacob speaks of their violence in verse 5. Their murderous anger in verse 6 and 7. And they, they too are disqualified. And so we come to Judah. Verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be upon the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow before you. And you think, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Remember the dream that Joseph had? That his brothers would bow before him? And how that was fulfilled in Egypt? But now, by the Spirit, Jacob said the tribes will bow before Judah. Not Joseph. Even though we know that Joseph is still his favorite son. And that puzzles us. Until we realize that that Jesus Christ, the reality to which Joseph was pointing would indeed come from Judah. 
and all the peoples of Israel are to bow before him. Judah is called a lion in verse 9, and, and Jesus would eventually be called the Lion of Judah. God's chosen king would arise from Judah. In verse 10, the scepter, the scepter is what the, the king holds. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Initially, this was King David, but ultimately, it would be Jesus, the descendant of David who would receive tribute and obedience from, from people from all over the world. And that's where we fit in, isn't it? We are the peoples, the people from all over the world that bring our, our tribute and obedience to King Jesus. We do that today and we will serve him forever. And when King Jesus reigns forever, that, that reign will be the ultimate blessing. It will be, be like the Garden of Eden again. And that's pictured poetically in verse 11 by having grapes and wine so abundantly that you can, you can tie your donkey to the choice vine because it, it, it doesn't matter if he goes and eats the choice grapes because there's so many of them. And you can use wine to wash your clothes. It doesn't matter because it's as abundant as water. It's a picture of great abundance. How good things are when the king reigns in the end. But you know the other puzzling thing? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, all disqualified because of their sin? Well, we saw Judah's sinfulness a few weeks ago too, didn't we, in the incident with Tamar? And he wasn't exactly guiltless in the suffering of Joseph either. And yet it looks like God has forgiven him and, and God's been changing him. We saw evidence of that change a couple of weeks ago when he offered himself as a slave in the place of Benjamin for the sake of his father. But still, he'd, he'd sin like the others. But God was gracious to him. Don't understand why to him not to... But showing mercy, that's, that's God's prerogative, isn't it? Well, Joseph, Jacob continues to bless his sons. Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, they all get a short comment or prediction or blessing. Some are hard to understand, but, but they speak of Israel in the land because Jacob expects them to go back there. And then you've got the blessings on Joseph. In verse 22 to 24, Jacob looks back on Joseph's life as, as being so fruitful despite so much pain. And he affirms that God is the one who has kept him in all the attacks. And in verse 25 and 26, he prays for his blessing. In fact, he prays for more blessing for Joseph in terms of prosperity and fertility than he himself had seen. Remember, in those days, the days of the model, that is what God's covenanted, his promised blessing looked like. The last blessing was for Benjamin. That's Joseph's younger brother, another one of those short ones that finds its fulfillment in Israel's history. And after all these blessings, Joseph, no, Jacob, gives his instructions for his burial. He wants to be buried back in the land that God had promised his descendants. He says from verse 29, I'm to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that's in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah the east of Memory, in the land of Canaan which Abraham bought, with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. 
See, Jacob knew. He knows that God is going to give that land to his descendants as he promised. And so in his death, he wants to be there with the recipients of God's promises who have gone before. Even though the next stage of God's plan to give him the land has not yet been put into effect. And that's the same for us as well, isn't it? We who are in Christ long to be with him when we die. Together with all the recipients of God's promises who have gone before. And that is better by far than being here. As we wait for the next stage of God's promise to be fulfilled. The new heaven and the new earth. Where we will dwell with him forever. As we look back on Jacob's life, we remember that Jacob had started off not actually trusting the promises of God. He started off lying and cheating to try and get what actually God already promised to him. But now, by the time he dies, he finally sets the example of a godly patriarch for his sons. He dies trusting the promises of God. Genesis 49 ends with the death of Jacob. Verse 33. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. He dies a good death, trusting in God's promises. When Jesus, the true Israel, died, he died trusting in the promises of his father. On the way to his death, he told his disciples, we saw that in our gospel reading, that he was to be delivered into the hands of men, they would kill him, and he would be raised on the third day. He trusted his father's word on this matter. He, went, he, he was willing to go to the cross knowing the Father has promised to raise him from the dead. And as he dies, he, what does he say? Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. He trusted the promise of the Father. He died well. So what do we learn from this passage? Well, there's a few things here. First of all, we're reminded of God's faithfulness to his promises, isn't it? Because as you read on in the Bible, you'll see that, that God indeed fulfills the promise he made to Jacob. If we read on in the gospel story, we see that God fulfilled the promise he made to Jesus and raised him from the dead. And we know that the God who is faithful to his promises to Jacob after his death, the God who is faithful to his promises to Jesus after his death, will be faithful to the promises he's made to us after our death. We can trust the promises of God. Secondly, we are encouraged by the changes we've seen in Jacob over the years. God chose Jacob and gave him great promises even though he was a cheat and an unsavory character. And over the years changed him to become that patriarch that he wanted him to be. And we know that the God who chose Jacob has chosen us in Christ and given us great promises in him in spite of the fact that we are unworthy sinners. 
And he will keep on changing us into the likeness of Christ. Thirdly, we see that God has plans for his people. These plans are spoken of by Jacob in these prophetic blessings. Laid out beforehand so they won't be surprised when it happens. And we know that God has plans for us, his New Testament people. Unlike Jacob, we don't have to speak of them prophetically on our deathbed because they've already been laid out for us in the Bible. So that we will not be surprised when it happens. We should accept, expect suffering and persecution in this world. We should expect the gospel to go out to all the nations. And we should expect that God will bring us through and give us our final inheritance, the new creation. Finally, we see from the example of this passage something about how to live and die well. Remember how Jacob, when he came to die, rehearsed God's promises to him in the past. When you come to die, look back on God's faithfulness. Look back to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Look back to the promises he made to you in the gospel. Speak of them to the people around you. Remind yourself of them. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Be thankful for these great covenanted blessings. Be thankful for the uncovenanted blessings. Remind yourself of the promises of God. And when Jacob died, he also not only looked back, but he, he looked forward to the future in light of God's promises. He died convinced that God would keep his promises. And when you die, speak to yourself and speak to those around you about that future in light of God's promises in the gospel. God's promise is that those who trust in Christ will be with him when they die. God's promise is that those who trust in Christ will be raised to glory at the end when Jesus comes back, just like Jesus was raised. God's promise is that those who trust in Christ will be part of that new creation, God's people and God's place under God's blessing and rule forever. Remember that God keeps his promise. Trust him with your future. And look forward to what is to come. We have an eternal inheritance. Let us die trusting the promises of God. And if that's how we want to die, then that's also how we want to live. You and I may or may not get the chance to be like Jacob and, and speak consciously on our deathbed to the people who love us. But what we can do is live constantly in that way all the time. Live as you want to die. Live rehearsing God's promises to you in Christ. Live each day being grateful for God's mercies in your life. And when you make your plans for the future, do so in light of eternity. Live well, die well. And to live well and to die well is to live and die trusting in the promises of God. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus is the Lion of Judah, the King. Thank you that he trusted you and your promises enough to, to go to the cross, to die in our place, bearing our sins on our behalf so that we could be saved. Thank you for keeping your promise to him and raising him as Lord of all, to whom every knee must bow. Thank you that your Holy Spirit has worked in our hearts, giving us faith in him so that we can be in his kingdom and therefore receive your promises. Thank you that we can be sure that you are faithful to the promises you've given us in him. Strengthen our confidence, we pray, in those promises so that we can look forward to the future, whatever stage of life we are, knowing that ultimately we will be your people in the new creation Enjoying the blessing of your loving rule forever. Keep us trusting, we pray, in those promises. And, and because we are forgetful, keep us rehearsing your promises to ourselves and to each other. That we might live and die in light of your promises to us. In Christ Jesus our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.